Our scripture for today is Hebrews 13, 7 through 16. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to, to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priests as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect, neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is the word of the Lord. Mercy Hill, how we doing this morning? Yeah, everybody awake? Kind of, sort of, maybe? Um, I'm not. The scripture wasn't on the screen. My bad. I forgot to include it. We're still covering Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 16. If you don't have a Bible, there are some Bibles in the back. And uh, you can pick one of those up if you don't have a Bible app on your phone. I got a little sad this last week. I was looking at Hebrews 13 on Thursday, and I realized last message I'm going to preach from the book of Hebrews. Andrew, is Andrew in here still? Do you leave for a moment? Well, Andrew, we talk about him while he's gone. Um, he's going to come back in a couple of weeks, and he's going to finish. Oh, there he is. Hey. <laughs> Forget all that. No, he's going to come back in a couple of weeks, and he's going to finish out this book. And so it'll be the first sermon he's going to preach at Mercy Hill, which we're excited about. By the way, I will not be leading the music because that would be of benefit to no one. So <clears throat> Hebrews 13, verses 7 through 16. Um, it's probably good at this last point in this text just to remind us that as we work through the book of Hebrews, we've done this verse by verse, and it has been a journey. Um, it's been a long journey. It's a, it's a deep book. It's a good book. But I just want to remind us, why do we study the scriptures verse by verse? We do that because we believe it's the best way to find Jesus. We don't get to jump over the hard stuff. And just as a reminder to you, the Bible is for you, but it's not primarily about you. We say that a lot around here, but I think we need to be reminded of that. Let me say that again. The Bible is for you. It's not primarily about you. The Bible is about God. And when we begin to read the Bible thinking that it's about us, we will begin to despise God because he will never meet us on our terms because he's way too holy for that. And so as we look at these scriptures today, this emphasis in chapter 13 is all about living by faith. 
living by faith. The writer gives a long list that Chris began at the first part of chapter 13. It's almost like your kid's going to prom and you forgot to give him or her the talk and they're headed out the door and you're like, don't do anything crazy. Be home by midnight. Be respectful. Act like a gentleman or a young lady. Oh, and have fun. It's like all this stuff compiled at once and we've been working through those you know honor your marriage be content don't strive for money and the writer's going to continue with that list of moral applications and warnings but here's the key it's not a list to be followed like check the boxes these are evidences of living by faith evidence of living by faith. It's not a to-do list. And there's a huge importance, there's a huge difference here as we think about this. Because we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is the foundation of the gospel. And what that means is that you can't produce righteousness. So as we look at this list, it's not a list. It's an explanation of a life lived out It's evidence of faith. You can't produce righteousness. And honestly, some of you have been, some of you have spent your entire life trying to please God or please a spiritual leader. Some of you have spent your entire life trying to produce righteousness, trying to be good enough. And the whole call of the gospel is for you to stop and to surrender and to let go and to die. So I just want to remind us of that foundation on the front end. In this text, we're going to see what I'm calling three steps to experience a life of joy. Now, if you heard the text, you may say, really? That text reflects a life of joy? I'm going to give you three steps. Which, by the way, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, let me just say, we are so thrilled that you are here. Because Jesus has radically changed our lives. And if you're still uncertain about this person who maybe he was a man, you're not so sure about him being God, we're thrilled you're here and thrilled that you're getting to know Jesus more and more. Here's the first step. The first step to experience a life of joy is this. Follow godly examples. Follow godly examples. Look at verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Leadership is of utmost importance, particularly in the church. Anyone who thinks that leadership is easy doesn't lead much. You know how you sometimes Facebook stalk people or you'll notice something. And I saw an acquaintance that... um, a guy I knew in seminary this last week and I noticed that he was a professor somewhere and I thought, oh, that's interesting and I, I wanted to know where and I, I clicked on about and within his work experience, one of the titles he had listed was leadership expert. My first thought was, you probably don't lead much then because the more you lead, the more you realize that leadership is a great responsibility. It takes great clarity. And it's difficult. It's not easy. The more you lead, the more you realize you really don't know that much about leadership. And so the writer 
writes and he says to remember your leaders. It seems to indicate that these leaders are no longer within the church. Because he says those who spoke. So it's in the past tense. We don't know if these leaders were martyred, if they died of natural causes. We don't know if they're in prison now and so no longer able to lead, but they're in the past. And so he says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Listen to what he doesn't mention. He doesn't mention their talent or influence. He says, look at the way they live, which is a very intimidating verse. And many of us are leaders. Maybe you're a coffee group leader or a missional community leader or a youth leader or a kids leader or a leader in your family. If this doesn't cause you to pause as a leader, then you probably shouldn't be leading. See, right doctrine for leaders is not enough. Knowledge is not enough. Hear me when I say talent is not enough. The writer is saying that love must infiltrate the very character of a leader's life. And here's the application. Leadership in the church must be taken far more seriously than it is taken in our day and time. 1 Timothy 5.22 says, Don't be hasty in appointing an elder. You say, why? What's the big deal? Well, Hebrews 13, verse 17, we're not going to get to it today. It goes on to say that leaders will be held accountable for the souls of men and women. Leaders are going to stand before God. And they're going to answer to Jesus how they shepherded the souls of men and women. Huge responsibility. Should keep you up at night in prayer if you're a leader. And I want to remind us that the church is not a business. It's not built on talent. No one has the right to a paycheck or a title. No one. Trust is earned and it can be lost in an instant. And that's why leaders, more than anyone, must live in dependence upon God's grace. That we'd be fueled by God's grace. Not by the accolades of men and women or not by results that we think have come about. Now, if you're here and you would say, that sounds great, but I haven't found many leaders like that. In fact, I've been under leadership that I would call ungodly. Then let me point your attention to the next verse. And let me call you not to lose heart. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Maybe the most famous verse in the book of Hebrews And let me just encourage you that sometimes Jesus, let me rephrase that, not sometimes, all the time, Jesus is the only one who causes us not to lose heart. We will always be disappointed in some way or fashion in our leaders. And please don't hear me saying that gives them a pass in order not to live a godly life because they're called to. But our faith must be not in the name of a church, not in the brand of a church, and not in the leadership that we've come to follow, but in the person and work of Jesus Christ and in his church. Because he has assured us that as twisted and as ugly and as sometimes as much as we stink, 
Because some of you have been a lot, around a lot of churches that you're like some of, well, I won't give any illustrations, but we'll just say they forgot to put their deodorant on. And your call is not for your faith to be in that church, but your faith to be in Jesus. Which means, by the way, if your faith is in Jesus and the church is his bride, then we never get the right to give up on his bride. He says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Probably the most famous verse in the whole book of Hebrews, it's sandwiched in between a commendation of faithful leaders and a condemnation to those who are unfaithful. Go ahead and look at verse 9. And we see the second point of living a joyful life. Not only that we would follow godly leadership, but that we would also reject legalism and rejoice in grace. We talk a lot about this. Reject legalism and rejoice in grace. Look at verse 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. I'd say it's not only good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, it's the only way the heart can be strengthened. Not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. He says, don't be led away by strange teachings. Strange teachings are anything that seeks to add to the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the final word on sin and death and the grave. And his resurrection secures our hope of life in him. And that begins right now. And it doesn't have to be earned. In fact, it can't be earned. That's the essence of the gospel. And he's referring in this passage to dietary restrictions or food laws that were being taught as a form of holiness. Eat this. Don't eat this. This still happens today in our society. It still happens today. It's very prevalent within the church. If you do this, you're more unholy. Or if you do this, you're more holy. You guys, you know what I'm talking about? I'll give you a couple examples. You're looking like, you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. Alcohol. You drink? Unholy. Anybody ever been in churches like that? Quiet time. Do it every day. More holy. You can't add to the cross of Jesus Christ. Yes, there are spiritual disciplines that help us to grow up into grace. That help us as we are on this journey of sanctification. But there is no steps that we can take within our life to gain holiness or to lose holiness. Just like my kids are my kids and they're always going to be my kids and there's nothing they can do to not carry my name. There's nothing they can do that I wouldn't choose to love them and God's love is so much greater than the love of a parent. Look at verse 10. He goes on to say, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Hey, let me back up for just a minute and just remind you of something when it comes to legalism. I just want to remind you that there are people who don't know Jesus who have morals that are better than yours. Did you know that? You haven't lived across the street from a Mormon family like I did in Nashville. If you don't think that there aren't people who have better morals than you do. Now hear me saying, in no way am I giving any room. The scripture gives us no room to allow sin into our life. That's not what I'm saying here. But I'm saying our salvation is not based on our morality. I was talking with a friend this last week who doesn't know Jesus and we were reading a book together and he said of everything in this chapter, the thing that stuck out to me the most is this whole idea of like ethnocentrism 
he said, Christians can claim that as far as being a, a people group, they're no better than anyone else because they're not saved by their works. They're saved by Jesus. So I want us to remember that. Verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. This gets a little interesting here. Pay attention. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. The writer of Hebrews here is reminding the people that the priest in the temple under the old covenant, under the old sacrificial system, they could participate in eating the food that was being offered as a sacrifice at times, but not when it came to the sin offering and not when it came to the Day of Atonement. Those offerings were to be burned completely. And the writer is reminding the reader that Jesus became that sacrifice, that he was perfect and he died as the sin offering. God looked upon him, God punished him, he judged him, he leveled the sins of the world, your sin and my sin, upon his shoulders, and Jesus suffered the full wrath of God at noon. As darkness entered the land, Jesus suffered the full wrath of God in order to make peace between us and God. Therefore, the writer is saying, those who still ascribe to legalism, believing that they earn their righteousness, he is saying, listen to this, not that they'll struggle in understanding the love of Jesus. It's not what he says. He is saying that the cross is off limits to them. If you try to come to know God by serving Him and worshiping Him and works righteousness, the things that you do, the credit that you bring, He is saying the cross is off limits to you. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ's work alone. And let me just encourage us, as we think about that, the way to change is always through the cross of Jesus. If you want to see change in your life, change will never take place by focusing on our sin alone. So often when we, we want to see change happen, we just, we focus and we, we double down on our sin. And when that happens, our sin doubles down on us. It never works. We must be moved to the cross in our worship and there we'll find the grace of Jesus. And as we find the grace of Jesus, it's only his grace that can truly empower us to overcome our sin. Because it's only at the cross that we see that Jesus is so much better than our sin. And as we worship Jesus, overcoming and defeating our sin is no big deal because our desire for Jesus is so much greater than the desire for our sin. We must reject legalism and rejoice in grace. And finally, Offer your life as a living sacrifice. Look at verses 13 through 16. Offer your life as a living sacrifice. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. 
Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Listen closely. The Christian life is not a call to comfort, it's a call to suffer. Look at verse 13. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Listen to some verses. Four verses. Acts 14, verses 21 and 22. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. And he sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. We are destined for afflictions. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And finally, Romans 8, verses 16 and 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also, that we may also be glorified with him. The call of the Christian life is a call to sacrifice and a call to suffering. What does it say about us if we are living in absolute comfort? How can we possibly be following Christ if we refuse to place ourselves in situations that call for sacrifice and at times even call for suffering? So I don't want to just throw a big truth bomb on you and then say deal with it, but let's, let's talk about that. Three ways that you can sacrifice. We'll call these A, B, and C. Three ways you can sacrifice. The first we see in verses 13 and 14, he says, go outside the camp. What does he mean? A, don't try to fit in. Don't try to fit in. Listen, as a church, as Mercy Hill Church, we are not trying to fit in. We are not an attractional church. And what I mean by that is we're not going to start karate classes and build a school and say we're here to provide everything you need. We're never going to start a coffee shop. We're not an attractional church. It's not who we are. And And I'm not saying that attractional churches are wrong. All churches are attractional. Because if Jesus Christ is at the center of the church, then they are hugely attractional. My hope is that we are an incarnational church. And what I mean by incarnational is the fact that we are called to be a people who are living life on mission in the everyday. 
living life on mission in the everyday, to be God's people wherever we are, not just on Sunday morning for a couple hours, not just one night during the week, that we would live on mission to the praise of his glory. And that requires a radical life, a really radical life. I mean, that, that requires that we pay attention to things like foster care and adoption and caring for the least of these and showing hospitality to strangers and stepping outside of ourselves and outside of our little box and our four walls and risking. But listen to me very clearly as I say that a radical life doesn't mean doing things that the world would look at and say that's radical. A radical life is a life that's submitted to the Spirit. And so... I would say not just sometimes, but oftentimes the Spirit speaks to us in saying very small things. Take her a card. Bake them some cookies. Stop. I know it's not in your schedule. Listen. Spend time with them. Getting out of ourselves. If we're going to sacrifice, don't try to fit in. The second thing we see is let the name of Jesus be on your lips. Look at verse 15. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Let the name of Jesus be on your lips. Uh, Thursday night I was hanging out with, um, there's two couples who are kind of hanging out with our church. They're not here today. Um, some of you can know them, Ryan and Ryan and um, Chelsea and Shannon. And I was hanging out with them and we were having dinner at, um, at Hop Dottie, just over in the square. And uh, these, these two couples moved to Memphis um, and they're part of another church called No Place Left Behind. And um, their desire is to see the gospel go forth. And they clearly have, a couple of them clearly have the gift of evangelism. I mean, they're those kind of people you meet and you're like, you know, they're like sharing the gospel with you in the grocery store. And like, you just met them and you're going, this is cool. I don't even know how we got here. But like, somehow this is normal and this is really cool. I don't know how you did that. Well, we're sitting at our table and our server comes up and Ryan says, hey, um, and by the way, they're a part of our church just hanging out with us. Um, they have no long-term plans to be members here. The Spirit's put it on their heart just to pray for Midtown. And so God's directed them to be here. And they, they're crazy. They walk around on Friday nights. They prayer walk and share the gospel with people. I mean, I informed them on Thursday. I said, you guys realize you're really weird. <laughs> like in a good way, but weird. Like I don't know anybody walking around on Friday night prayer walking sharing the gospel with people, right? And Ryan asked our server, I think her name was Alexia. He said, is there, we're about to pray for our food. Is there anything we could pray for you that like if God answered that prayer, it'd be like a miracle? And she said, sweet little 18-year-old girl says, my grandfather has cancer. And she just starts to tear up. And he asked her another question and she said, I can't talk about it. And she left. She went to the restroom. I've never seen this happen before. She, she's just broken. When she came back in a little bit, we prayed for her. And he just spent about 10 or 15 minutes sharing the gospel with this girl. And we left things. Shannon got her email address. And they, she was open to reading more about the scriptures. And she was 
kind of attending this other church, but really doesn't understand who Jesus is. And she said, yeah, I'd love to learn more about Jesus. That happens sometimes when Jesus is on our lips. And I think a lot of us don't really believe that happens because we don't have any expectation that it ever would happen. And if that's you, I would just call you to go back and say, Brad, how can you prove that happens? I can prove it happens by reading verse eight. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so the miracles that we see within the New Testament, it's not a one and done thing. Jesus Christ is active and at work in and through our lives and he desires to show up in really amazing places and ways. But you know what? He kind of shows up where he's wanted. And I just wonder in some of our lives if, if there's really any room for him to show up. Is there any expectation? Is Jesus Christ on your lips? Because this is a struggle. I spent time with a friend. Um, many of you have heard me uh, mention my friend Ellis and ask you to pray for him. And he finally made his way through chapter one of The Reason for God. And so we got together on uh, Friday. And I really didn't want to go because I was trying to finish my sermon. And this has been a really busy week. And it was Friday morning. And he was like, hey, you want to hang out? And I thought, I really don't have time to hang out. And then I thought, how do I not have time to hang out? I could spend time working on a sermon for a bunch of believers, or I could go spend time with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Duh, that doesn't take a lot of leadership to figure out. And spending time with Ellis, it is a slow roll. I mean, it's slow. He's reading this other book called The Sermon on the Mount, and it is not Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And, and he's like trying to get, he, I'm looking at it, and the guy doesn't even really believe that Jesus was God. And I just said, Ellis, if you're going to take all the time to read this book, at least read Matthew 5 through 7. He said, what is that? I said, it's the Sermon on the Mount, for crying out loud. Have you ever read the New Testament? He said, no. I said, you've never read the Bible? No. You've never read the Gospels? No. Read Matthew 5 through 7. Let's talk. Having Jesus' name on our lips doesn't mean that it's going to be instantaneous, that people are going to come to know Jesus instantly, but at times they will. See, how do you know that? Ethiopian eunuch. And I can show it to you time after time after time in the scriptures. What is our expectation? Is Jesus' name on our lips? One writer said it this way, mission exists because worship doesn't. Mission exists because worship doesn't. So we go there because worship doesn't exist. I'm gonna flip it on you and ask the question, I wonder if mission doesn't exist in our own lives at times because worship doesn't. Do you see where I'm going? And so please don't hear me saying that that the way in which you respond to this is by doubling down on your guilt or your shame or going and getting in an evangelism explosion class. If you don't know what that is, don't worry. You don't need to. <laughs> but what I'm saying is this. Jesus will be on our lips when we care about him and when we love him like we love Hop Dottie or Hattie B's or the newest restaurant or the newest movie or whatever it is that you're into. When we're into Jesus, he'll be on our lips. Finally, don't try to fit in. Let the name of Jesus be on your lips and share your time and your resources. Verse 16, share your time and your resources. Look at what he says. Verse 16, do not neglect to do good. Do not neglect to do good. And share what you have 
for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I, I, in the most humble way I know how, I just want to tell our church and I want to implore us. When he says, do not neglect to do good, it would not be doing good if we continue in the beautiful way that we have in the last six years to care for the needs of people who are down and out and to love on them with the love of Jesus and to not share the gospel with them. And when I say share the gospel, I mean a verbal witness. Even if it's just saying, hey, what I just gave you, what I just shared with you, what I just did for you is a tangible way that you can experience the love of Jesus Christ and what he has done for me. He has radically reoriented my life. Can I tell you about Jesus and how he's taken my sins away? That we would share the name of Jesus. It is the good work. It is the good work. Now, share your time and your resources. I'll be honest with you. I don't remember a lot of my own sermons. I'll look back at them and think, oh, that was pretty good, but I don't remember them. But I do remember working on Mercy House on Saturday mornings. I remember teaching Terrell how to use a grinder on the fireplace. I remember framing a crawl space entrance with Ben Roberts. I remember scraping wallpaper and painting with Anna and Lori. I remember yanking the fence out of the backyard with Matt and my kids and tearing up Robert's truck. I remember climbing scaffolding and ripping my blue jeans and building stuff with Peter. And I wasn't even that involved in the house. But let me tell you this, I don't remember a single Saturday morning getting my tools together and thinking to myself, I can't go wait to work on Mercy House. It was a struggle every time. But I know that sacrifice is pleasing to God and it leads to joy. And now I can pray that the two women who are in the house right now come to know Jesus and experience restoration of both their heart and their physical life. And that's worth living for. It's worth living for. That's why I say sacrifice leads to joy. I pray that we recognize that Jesus is better than anything this life has to offer. And that we would radically reorient our lives for the sake of the gospel. That Jesus would actually become the source of our joy because we've rejoiced in his grace. We've become so overwhelmed by his sacrifice that we're able to miraculously stop asking what he can do for us and begin to give ourselves wholeheartedly for the sake of others so that the lost children of God might find Jesus. There's no greater treasure. There's no greater joy. Make no mistake about it. Hebrews chapter 13, these are evidences of living by faith. They are the results of a healthy faith following godly leadership, rejecting legalism, rejoicing in grace, and finally living sacrificially. So they offer a grid to evaluate our own faith. And the natural reaction is for us to try harder, but the biblical call is to repent. To repent. And to pray and ask God what he would have us to do 
how he would have us to live. I'm gonna ask the band if they would to come forward. If you would, just bow your heads with me. Take this moment to meditate as they come forward. Consider your faith and consider your life and consider God's calling on you. He calls us to go outside the camp. He calls us to boldly and courageously live for a city that is to come. He calls us to accept suffering as the way of life because it leads to joy. Consider your life. Consider Christ's work. Consider his calling on you. And just as the band begins to play, take a moment. I'm going to ask some friends to come and to help us as we serve communion. I'm going to ask Stacy and Erlene if they would, if they would come and if they would help us to serve communion. And I'm going to ask Josh and Barbara if they would come and if they would help us to serve communion. And take these few moments to meditate. And as you come... Remember from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, chapter 11, Paul's words, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As you come forward and as you take the bread, you're reminded of his body broken for you. As you tear a piece and as you dip it in the juice, you're reminded of his blood that's been spilled out for you. All who know Jesus are welcome to his table. Come and remember Jesus' body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of him.